Welcome to Witchlit, a place to talk about the craft of writing and writing the craft. I'm your host, Victoria Rashke, author, publisher, witch, and nosy Scorpio. You can support Witchlit and the serious book habit it requires at ko-fi.com slash witchlitpodcast. And you can be part of the show by sending in your own death, sex, religion, politics, money questions for our guests to Victoria at witchlitpod.com. If you like what we're doing here, please subscribe and give us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does help other witches find the show. Here's to never getting to the bottom of our to be red piles. Sonia Moon is an author, witch, international teacher, poet, and reclaiming initiate who has practiced magic for 20 plus years. She also teaches classes and workshops around the world, including in the US, Canada, the UK, and Australia. Sonia cultivates spaces of self-care, devotion, divine relationship, whatever that means to you, and community service as part of her heart magic and activism. She has written a number of books, including Pagan Portals. Those include Reclaiming Witchcraft, Aphrodite, Iris, and the Norns. Also the Earth Spirit series, Honoring the Wild, which we'll talk about today, and Gaia, and Practically Pagan, an alternative guide to health and well-being. Arasanya Moon, welcome to Witchlet. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. It's exciting to read off that big long list of books too. <laughs> it feels it's very <laughs> It's a lot. I never know quite how to phrase that in the bio. Yes. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, so our first question for everybody on the show is why write? When we, this world of lots of other ways to get that info out there, kind of like we talked about before we got on in the recording. Absolutely. I, I think I have a really similar story to a lot of writers that I know, at least. It, and that story begins with, I've always written. I just always have. I, my mom would say that I was reading when I was three and that ever since then, I've just, once I figured out how to write, I did it. I would beg for blank notebooks and I would write these really long, intense, fictional, but not really things. And I just continue to do that. It was the thing that I loved, I was good at, and then I turned it into a career. And I think that I also write because like, I'm just learning this, so I might not phrase this the Mm -hmm. perfect way, but apparently uh, my neurodivergence, uh, I know a lot, but sometimes I don't remember it. So when I write it down, I remember it. And Mm -hmm. so I think it also helps me. My own writing helps me to solidify ideas, thoughts, maybe some wisdom into a form where I can go back to it and go, oh, right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I think mm-hmm. that experience of, and someone's already quoted it on the show once about, you know, like Joan Didi and this, I write so I know what I think about something yes. or how to mm-hmm. process thoughts or just, I mean, e- even like morning pages practice, right? It's really just mm-hmm. figuring out where you're, where you're at that day through making those thoughts visible, I guess, in some way. Well, uh- and I love Joan Didion, one of my one of my heroes for writing. So thank you for quoting her. Uh, I would also say that it's writing sort of like an exorcism for me, like gets the stuff out and away sometimes. I mean, I've always been a, a poet first. I mean, I wrote fiction when I was a kid, but uh, then a poet 
and then what I'm doing now. And all of it has been, you know, how do I understand myself or others or this life or this world? And how can I capture moments in a way that, I don't know, sort of puts them behind glass and allows me to see them more objectively sometimes. So how did you get from writing your fiction as a kid to publishing nonfiction in an occult witchcraft space. What was <laughs> yeah. that journey like? That is, so it's been, it's been, I was thinking about this morning. I was like, okay, how do I, what did happen? I, so I'm actually a freelance writer outside of all of this. So I already have a background in writing stuff uh, on a whole bunch of topics. Actually, some was witchcraft at one point, but in order to get with Moon Books, which is my publisher right now, I am a person that's really, I mean, less entranced with social media these days, but I've always been really on social media and posting things and writing things. And I'm pretty sure I've had a blog at some point. I couldn't tell you where it is now, but, and eventually I sort of stumbled upon them and they had a call out for submissions to an anthology and it was either naming the goddess or paganism 101. I should have checked that, but I didn't. And I said, hey, I could I could write for one of those. If there is anything to know about my approach to writing and doing things, I just sort of say yes. And then I figure it out along the way. Didn't really know what I was doing, but I said yes to a bunch of things. Anthology this, I've done probably... I don't know, eight or 10 anthology pieces for them and for other folks in Moon Books. And then I got approached by them and they said, hey, our Pagan Portals series doesn't have Reclaiming Witchcraft in it. We don't really know a lot about that. Would you be willing to write about it? And I said, yes. And then it was terrifying. <laughs> but uh, that's yeah. sort of, let's write about my tradition that doesn't have a lot of things written about it. And there are a lot of people with differing ideas about it. Let's do that for the first book. Seems like a good idea. And it started and sort of kept going from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, thank you for sending me that one, by the way, with, with the new book. Um, and I was, as I was reading it, I was thinking, wow, this is a, a huge history and tradition and um, like you explained in the book, like it's ongoing. I mean, this is a living tradition that's changing all the time. So to try and get it in like a very tiny yeah. chat book size book is really just skimming the surface. Like, it is. do you feel like there's another book in there to just talk? I mean, I can't imagine that that's like a stopping point for you. Oh, it's not. And I'll tell you a funny story about the first book. I finished writing it in, I think... June-ish of 2019. And it didn't get published till the next year because that's the way it works. And in September of 2019, Reclaiming had one of their international gatherings where folks come from, there's Reclaimings all over the place. Uh, we all gathered in actually Petaluma, California. Uh, that happened to be the place. And at that meeting, it was the impetus for changing the principles of unity which is in that book, mm -hmm. but it was already out of date by the time the book got published because we are an evolving tradition. Right. 
Um, so do I think there's more to say? Absolutely. A lot has happened since that book in the tradition. A lot more is on the horizon. And the complications of books in writing books in general is that you can't say everything. Yeah. It's rough. Well, especially, I mean, the Pagan Portal books tend to be like, I mean, they really are chapbook size. Mm -hmm. So there's not, there's not a lot to that. But what I think is really interesting was to read that one in companion with the new book with Honoring the Wild, because mm -hmm. you kind of see like in the histories you give of the environmental activism of people in the reclaiming tradition and kind of the rotation, really the tradition grew out of that. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. to have this, you know, history of tradition together. I mean, they're pretty good companion books to read together. So you were smart to send them both. <laughs> but I was, I was thinking as you were, I, I was reading Honoring the Wild, like I can't imagine for such a small, slim <laughs> volume, like I can only imagine the amount of time it took to gather that information from near and far. So what, what did that look like? So this was another one of those books where, we had just, Moon Books had just started the Earth Spirit series and we wanted to, you know, expand into environmental ideas. Uh, I think eco-spirituality was how it was framed. And I said, oh, reclaiming, I could definitely do something about that. And as soon as I proposed sort of what I thought it was going to look like, I realized I'm not the person to write this book. Uh, there are people who have been at places that I was not at, that I have only heard about. There are people and witches and magical folks who have been, like they've done things. I, these are things I haven't done. So what I did is I decided, I put a call out to community and said, hey, I'm looking, I'm going to create this book. I want to get as many stories as I can within the space that I have who'd be willing to share a story. I don't care if it's a ritual. I don't care if it's um, something from one of the classes that you taught, a personal story, anything. I, I just, I would love to just see what community has and we'll go through it and see how they all fit together. And that's, and that's, I've never done that before. And it was definitely a learning experience. And I think we got the pieces that were really meant to be there because I got all these pieces not knowing what I was going to get. And then I had to figure out how to put them together. Um, but I'm really honored that the folks who contributed did contribute. And we were able to get folks from the U.S. and Canada and Australia and the U.K. Like We tried to get a broad range of folks because we're claiming is broad and um, it would not do reclaiming reputation any favors to just have it from the Bay Area because mm -hmm. it's it's not just that. Yeah, and for folks who haven't read it yet, the first part of the book is kind of an explanation of like the environmentalism, the environmental movement within reclaiming, and then there's the section on like the history and different protests and where people are at, and then there's this this like bouquet of stories at the end of, of these mm -hmm. from people who attended these events. And I mean, I'm just thinking like how lucky to be able to compile it. Well, a lot of these people are still around because I feel like, you know, there is 
a lot of history we don't have access to because people didn't think to capture it until it was too late to talk to those primary source people. So that's one of the things that I was really interested in doing because of exactly what you said. And also reclaiming tends to be kind of an oral tradition. Mm -hmm. We know stories, but we don't really write them down. So many of us have different versions of stories because we're them in certain ways. And one of the things that I was also really honored to get together was that timeline because that is something that like we, we haven't written down before and it's not complete because I didn't ask every single person in the tradition, but I did, there was somebody at George Franklin, um, who's a, a, one of the kind of a historian in reclaiming. He actually asked a question on an email group and collected a lot of this. And I also snuck around and looked at a few Facebook posts and saw people talking about it. And so I got to put all that together. And for posterity, I think that's, it's, it's going to be really helpful because mm -hmm. our tradition is moving into the space of we're losing elders um, and not just elders, but people either are le have left the tradition and leading the tradition or have passed away. Yeah. And write it down, folks. Write it down. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and actually, like, on paper, I think, too. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, right. websites I... disappear. And, yeah, it's important to have it, like, in some kind of physical manifestation. So, Absolutely. I was just um, helping to co-facilitate a, a ritual online. And one of the things we had planned to do at the end of the ritual was have story time. And the stories that we heard, I've never heard before. We did, we are going to get them written down. We not in that moment we didn't. But again, there's so much um, in any group. There's mm -hmm. so many stories that will get lost mm -hmm. unless we document them. Have you already had people reach out to you since the book has come out to um, say, oh, by the way, here's this other piece? <laughs> Not yet, but I imagine that there's going to be more. I did, I think I started to hear some glimmers of that when I did the launch. Um, I did an online book launch for it so that folks could also meet the faces behind uh, the, the contributors. Mm -hmm. um, so not yet, but I do want to continue that conversation because this only had so much space and I would, there, um, there's plenty more. Oh yeah. I was gonna say I'm sure you could fill that that volume again just easily <laughs> and then some. <laughs> and then and then some and then some and then some because we, yeah. you know we have to remember that there was like, you know, the folks who sort of started everything and then there was the next wave. And I'm kind of in that next wave, but there's like waves after me. Mm -hmm. Like this is continuously moving and growing and expanding and also there are new things that come up in the intersection of environmental activism and BIPOC and transphobe like all of this is together it's not just one thing right and that's I hope that this is a good if anything a good starting point inspiration maybe a very hard nudge into <laughs> a little bit more uh conversation yeah well and, and then to have something i think 
you know, those waves that come after, it's nice for them to have something like this to say, okay, here's, here's the origin. Cause as you said, it's a shifting, changing, growing thing. So to have some idea of like the kernels of where it started just seems really important to think about where you want to go from there too. So, and I can imagine that folks, you know, of, you know, the descendants of the tradition, I can imagine them going back to some of the, like the ritual that's captured in there are a couple of them and doing that and seeing where it takes them mm-hmm. from where they're at. And, you know, there's information and magic that's already happened and what magic can come through if you access that in today's moment. So it's a question more than anything. I have no answers for that, but <laughs> I, it's a strong suggestion. Yeah. Um, I mean, and that's really, I mean, once the book is out in the world, it takes on its own life. So what happens to it after you let go? Like all, all you can do is suggest. I, mean. <laughs> I, I, you know, I have hopes and dreams, but I, you know, my biggest hope was for this was, or is that I think that humans as a whole are inspired by story. I think you can give them facts. You can give them all the reasons in the world, but it has to touch an emotional level at some point to actually inspire change or to inspire action. And so I, that's why I wanted a bunch of stories because I could sit here and list here, the things we should do, but we've heard that, but let's put ourselves in the places of folks who were there and made magic in these spaces and we're challenged by activism and who are inspired to help the future generations, the gamut in that book. But I just believe that this is, this would be such a great, hopefully starting point, nudge inspiration for folks to take their own action, become their own activists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think one of the things I really liked about kind of the arrangement of it, because it is a conversation about how there is this perception that in order to be an activist, you have to physically be putting your body on the front line. And that's like an ableist approach to activism. Mm -hmm. And we, I think we've really learned that over the pandemic that not everyone can do that. Mm -hmm. And so I liked that you talked about that in the book. And I, I think, I think there's an invitation in that for people to examine like what they can do, what they're willing to do or have them, you know, the bandwidth or the mental capacity or the mental health, wherever they are to do those things. And what are, where are we not doing things because people may think they need to be doing this other thing and this isn't getting done. Like it's kind of a two-sided thing. It's one of those, I think, it's that, you know, that I think that maybe a really natural thing about like all or nothing. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm not doing everything, then I'm not doing enough. Right. And I don't think that's true. I think that the way we create movements that are sustainable is by going and focusing on the things that we're really excited about. We, we can't be excited about everything. Um, and also meeting the, meeting that excitement with the skills that we have, with the resources that we have. And if we all can meet our own, you know, needs, desires, and abilities, things are going to get done. Uh, we don't need to, <laughs> uh, we don't all need to be sitting in a tree. 
And yeah. not all of us can do that. Mm-hmm. And not all of us want to. Yeah. But I just, that's why I even brought in voices that were like, I don't know if I call myself an activist. And that's okay too. Yeah. Um, we can't all do everything. But we yeah, could and, do something. Yeah. And I don't even know, like, everyone doing everything isn't even like a goal. Like, that's not really a goal, right? I mean, the goal is mm-hmm. that everybody steps forward in the way that they can. And mm-hmm. that is in its imperfection mm-hmm. and all of that. And that creates change just because everyone's moved forward in some way. And I mean, I, you know, there's room, like you said, for storytelling. That's part of it, you know, capturing the history of it. That's part of it, you know, mm-hmm. separating your recycling. <laughs> that's part of it mm-hmm. all the way up to sitting in a tree or chaining yourself to equipment. I mean, this is a mm-hmm. huge range of possibility for things for people to do. Yeah, I think that it becomes tricky in the world that we're in because it tends to magnify and celebrate the big stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, the stuff that's dramatic and the stuff that is possibly arrest. I don't know about worthy, but may result in, a, in an arrest. And so it can be challenging to sit there and compare yourself. And I, yeah. I think that's something I would really like to move away from as much as possible. I mean, within activist groups, it happens too. like who can be more activist than thou. And I mm-hmm. like, we meet ourselves where we're at. Yeah. And because of an activist who is still interested in doing things is much better than one that's done a lot, but gets burnt out and just can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, and that, that totally happens in all kinds of circles. It's like, once you get tapped, then people know you're a person who says yes, and that you can do this. Mm-hmm. And then you get tapped again and again and again and again. Uh, y'all, I am aware. Sonia pointing to herself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm aware. I'm aware. <laughs> Speaking yeah, no, maybe I, from I've, personal experience. Yeah, I was going to say, I've, I've been in that role myself. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I was just saying what you were talking about, you know, is it if it's going to end in arrest, like the first thought I have, because I think that's one of my roles is like, how do all the pieces fit together? Is there has to be someone on the other side of that arrest with bail money and a lawyer's phone number and a lawyer and all of those things to deal with, to deal with that. Like it's other, all of these things have consequences and all of them have things that have to happen to forward it and make it work. And we live inside of systems that we have to have an understanding of and all of this kind of thing. So yeah, it's a huge yeah. network of of stuff. And there's lots of, I don't know, lots of nodes on the net for us to sit on <laughs> to make it work. There are, yeah. and capitalism sucks and can really be, you know, the force of oh, keeping people from engaging as much as they would want to. And so it's a complicated web. But if, you know, if we can, like we keep saying, like if you can meet it in the way that you can, then there's still, that's still movement. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we'd love to take down capitalism at the same time, but. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a lofty goal, but I I don't know. Mm -hmm. I sometimes think capitalism is going to take itself down, but I'm not sure about that. I can't, I can't wait on that. I can't wait on that, but. Sometimes I feel like it's really working hard to take itself down. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Um, but obviously one of the ways that you're approaching this is through writing. And so I want to make sure that we talk about the writing part too. Um, cause, uh, but like with all of the books you've written, obviously these are mm-hmm. come out of your personal practice and your relationship to your tradition and to, you know, all of these things, but clearly they all take a little bit of work to come out. You're not just sitting down and like dumping onto a page. I mean, it's clear there's some research, there's all these things that happen. So like, what does your, I know everybody's writing process is different and I hope anybody who's a new yeah. writer or has questions about this listening mm-hmm. goes, knows that not the same process works for everyone, but like, what does your process look like for you? And what is like your best writing kind of experience for you? Yeah. My process usually looks like, um, you know, I have either an idea put forth to me or I come up with it. And the first thing I do is I outline it into the things that I think people need to know. So those are just really broad categories, like the who, what, where, when, and, you know, Mm -hmm. um, so I think about that first because I need a structure first. Doesn't mean I'm going to follow it but it does mean that I need to know kind of what I'm covering because then I know what to research and then I'm not going all over the place. Mm-hmm. So structure first. And then I do research. Uh, it looks different for different books. Obviously researching a God is a little bit different than researching a tradition. I have to go to different sources for different things. So usually research is the next thing. I, I don't want to say that I do all my research and then I'm done. I, it's usually an ongoing process because you stumble upon one thing and then you're you're writing and then you're like, wait, I don't know about that. And then, um, so research on the go. So my writing process is usually, uh, I block out time and I sit down and I write usually this might sound, uh, this is just the way I write folks. Not, not everybody (laughs) does this. I don't necessarily encourage this. I write to word count Mm -hmm. and I write a certain number of words a day until I'm done. And then I let it sit for a second. And usually I collect all the post-it notes that have collected the, oh shoot, I didn't talk about this. And then I go back to it and I add more to it. And then I typically do all like the the things that I don't like to do, like bibliographies, <laughs> things like that. I don't, not a fan. I do all those things. And then usually I will take a second before I edit it because I need to get away. And then it goes to my publisher. They do editing and then it comes back to me and I do more. Then it goes back and we're usually done, but I are in the Wild had a couple extra edits in it because one of our elders died and I wanted to make sure that was in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was the other thing? There was something else that someone had forgotten to submit to me and I needed to add it. So that, that's usually the process for me. Um, so I'm going to unpack the, the writing part a little bit more because here's what it looks like for me. I apparently found out I have ADHD. And so it makes a lot of sense now. What I usually do is I sit down for two to four hours at a shot and write. And I take a break and then I do it again. 
usually over the course of a weekend, I have a good chunk of a book done. Mm -hmm. It's just the way my brain works. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty like, I can remember that Aphrodite took me a couple of weekends like that. It's just easier when I don't have work and all of that. Like I need straight mm-hmm. moments of time. I'm not good at writing a little every day. It's just me. Yeah. So are but you writing? Are you, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say caffeine writer's mm-hmm. best friend mm-hmm. next to a good mm-hmm. editor. Um <laughs> So are you still doing freelance writing? Is that like kind of your pay the bills part to you? And then this yes. is kind of the writing you do because that's your passion on the side. Hopefully you're also paying yes. some bills with it, but that's always a yes. up in there. So <laughs> I think it's, it's a process, I think. Uh, so I do still write. Yeah, I still freelance write and all the other times, but it's because I've been doing that for uh, let's see, 18 years this year. That's why I can write like kind of in a focused way, I think for mm-hmm. the books, I'm just used to writing on spec. I'm used to writing here's, you know, and having to do it in a certain amount of time. I, you know, it's more and more of my, what supports me, the books, but I think actually what is inspired by the books is actually the thing, like the classes and the rituals and things like that that come after I write a book, because usually I haven't said everything I want to say in a book. And a couple months later, I think of more that we could do with it. Yeah. I'd imagine, mm-hmm. especially like, I think about the books you've written on goddesses and like, I know those are in that pagan portal series. So they're also slim, you know, they're slim volumes. So like, I, I'm sure you have more to say on all of those too, just having some separation from doing it. And then thinking about, like you said, like, I, I didn't talk about this or, or having a new experience with your relationship with that goddess or deity, you know? Yeah. It's a, uh, I wrote Aphrodite way back, way back in 2019. And I, it's not that, I've changed what I think, but it's it's different mm-hmm. from what I've said. It's I, I think there's more nuance to that relationship because she's sort of a like a friend of mine. So friendships change, the way we interact changes, and there are also some things that I don't feel I want to share mm-hmm. necessarily. So I find it very fascinating. Books are very much living, living things that live outside the body and then how they get interacted with becomes what they also are. Mm -hmm. Not really a great way to describe that, Mm -hmm. but no, I know what you mean. There's something, you know what I mean? Like it's sort of, they become something else through the eyes of a reader, Mm -hmm. which is great and wonderful. And I've had people, you know, Tell me how Aphrodite saved their marriage or they want, they met the love of their life or all those things, which is not necessarily what I intended, but fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds like a good result. Yeah. I always think of like, and I think I've talked about this with someone on the show before that I'm at the point now where I have a little bit of amnesia about some of those early episodes, <laughs> but I, I feel like 
you know, the, the creation of a book has kind of its own energy and its own spirit, like writing that book is a spirit. And then every copy mm-hmm. of that book that somebody reads is its own, becomes its own creature in that, you know, and they embody it with their own, you know, their own experience and their own lens and they come to mm-hmm. it. And that's true of fiction. That's true of nonfiction. It's true mm-hmm. of poetry. Like everybody is bringing their own experience of their, their experience of that book isn't going to be like anybody else's experience of it. And I want that. One of the things that is interesting to me, at least about writing, and I don't, you know, I can't speak for other writers, but for myself, I'm more interested in, I mean, I love educating people. Absolutely. But I'd much rather inspire them. Mm -hmm. I'd much rather inspire folks to figure out what your relationship to the earth looks like or some God or you know, if I can be that, I don't know, that motivating force to inspire you to seek things out on your own, that's great. I don't, you don't have to follow anything that I said. That's totally fine with me. But if it, I don't know, if it can, if it shifts something for you in your life in some way, I've done my job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, have you had experiences with readers who have come to you with something? I mean, it sounds like with Aphrodite book, like things you didn't attend, but like something that just blew your mind that that was, that that was their experience of your writing. I think that, I mean, Aphrodite gets a lot of press for, because she's, she's who she is. Mm -hmm. And so she gets the most press, I think of any of them so far. I don't know. There's more coming. I have a feeling we're going to, we're going to hear about those. Honoring the wild so far, I've had heard from some folks that it, it has inspired them to return to their activism or to the ways that they can show up. And that actually was my intention. So this isn't quite a surprise, but sometimes people that I wouldn't expect that from, mm. and that feels really good. I'm, I'm real glad about that. I also have heard um, about reclaiming witchcraft. Uh, There's apparently a lot of, at least I know of right now, like two book clubs that are talking about it. And that they, a couple of folks have said who have been in the tradition for a while, this helped them fall back in love with the tradition, which was surprising. Not, Mm -hmm. Not really my goal. I think I am initially wanted that to be for folks who didn't know anything about reclaiming, but I recognize that if you, even if you're in the tradition, it does, it gives you my take on it. At least mm-hmm. it's not the end all be all. Yeah. But I think that was the most interesting thing for me so far. Who knows what's going to happen next, but people, there is an understanding sometimes I think in an oral tradition that everybody's heard the same stories or the same interpretations of things. And we haven't because we're not a monolith. So I think hearing from folks about reclaiming witchcraft that it was something that really, oh, I hadn't thought of it that way. That's great. Yeah. I'm glad. When I think about like a tradition expanding out from the source, I mean, like if you look at Wicca and then you you look at reclaiming and, you know, they... 
they have a thread between them. So this is like mm-hmm. a whole new bl- flower, I guess, of this thing. And then as reclaiming spreads out, that that process happens again, right? I mean, if you have someone mm-hmm. in Belgium or in Australia and, you know, in this tradition that started in the Bay Area, like they will have mm-hmm. pieces of those stories and then they'll have whole new stories that will never go back to the source. So. Absolutely. And yeah, because everyone interprets things from where they are. And that's great. I mean, the different, I don't want to say branches of reclaiming, but the different locations of reclaiming in this mm-hmm. moment, you're on different land. So you're going to interpret things differently. Mm-hmm. You have different concerns in your particular place. So you're going to have different ways to look at things and to apply what is considered to be uh, standard whatever that means in reclaiming, <laughs> um, as I like to say often, but not always. Yeah. Well, and I think that's, that's our, true. That's probably our best motto. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true probably of any tradition that has this, like the importance of bioregionalism baked into yeah. your practice. It's like, it's always going to look mm-hmm. different than, you know, if someone's practicing in the middle of the desert or they're practicing on top of a mountain, I mean, it's just going to be different. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I, at the time of us recording this, I am about a month out, less than a month out of going to Australia to, to be with a bunch of reclaiming witches. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they have different practices in creating sacred space. And I didn't know that until I was there because you don't do that until you're there. Right. But I bring back those stories and now folks here, you know, it's been, you know, it's yeah. not just me bringing back those stories, but, you know, it's, it's just different. And we don't know until mm-hmm. we're there. And yeah. so my book is great, but a starting point. Starting yeah. point. Yeah. And that's what I always, I always tell people is like, you know, I, I will recommend this book to you as a place to start. Usually. I mean, that's what I, I, almost any book I would recommend to someone, I would say, this is where you start or here's, here's a start, not even where you, st- where everyone needs to start. This is a start, a possible place to start. Because there's exactly. just there's, there is no one book. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I um though I agree with you that the work of putting together a bibliography is often miserable. The uh gift to readers that it they are is um is kind of worth the pain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. It's worth it. I've so that's that's just ugh. um I've gotten better. Every book has gotten better. So I'm real proud of that, folks. So check out my bibliography as, as we uh, as we progress. Yeah. They've gotten better and better. Uh, my editor has gotten more and more frustrated, but I don't you I don't know how to figure this out. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I just better. Think, I mean, I think that shift in books and kind of the the space of writing about the occult and witchcraft, like early early days, I guess, of like kind of the first boom of books the bibliographies were kind of sparse citation was kind of sparse because so much of it had been oral tradition or even oath bound information that people couldn't always share. So I think there's, um, you know, this kind of tendency now to like cite every tiny thing and make sure that you're showing your bibliography and all of that. And, and that there's such an academic boom of like now looking at these movements from an academic lens and looking at older witchcraft movements through an academic lens that it's um mm-hmm. it's a little overwhelming but it's also like i just think about 
people who are isolated in their belief or in their practice yes. opening a book and then realizing, oh, this is mm-hmm. this really is one door to walk through. Yes. Yeah. I think that's that's a really great summation of things. And there are actually some academic writings on reclaiming, which are fascinating. Uh to see, to you, to use like the research approach to like explaining magic mm-hmm. is still a little strange for me. Um, I, my brain, I didn't uh, do the research thing as I was coming up through writing. So I may have faked it a lot of the time. So, <laughs> but I like it now. I made it through my degree. Uh, I like it now. There are, like you said, there's so many more uh, sources and things like that are a lot more, a lot more places to turn. The only thing that sort of my brain thinks about with that is yes. And can we, can we all agree to some critical thinking about what we're looking at? Because many sources does not mean many good sources. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's one of my, it's one of my things in a lot of my books when I talk about like, who's translating this, because that is important to me, maybe mm-hmm. just to me. No, but there's right. a wealth think, of white dudes. There's wealth of white dudes that have yeah. translated stuff. So. And, and who do we cite, you know, and I mean, I've, I've thought about that in my own writing about, okay, so if this is where, if this is who I'm citing, like who, who, where did they get their information? Like, where does this come from? And what lens are they looking at it through? And um, I do think possibly with the shift to like heavily citing books on witchcraft and stuff that there is a tendency, I think two things happen. One thing is we tend to dismiss personal gnosis i think if you're sharing personal gnosis as personal gnosis that is that's its own source and that is also important i mean don't share your personal gnosis and say this is your you know 200 year old family tradition from a book that doesn't exist i mean that's different but that's probably how partly how we got here so maybe that's okay too but um but and i think but i think it does get dismissed and i think Mm-hmm. You know, at one point, all of these things that we're citing were also personal gnosis. Yes. Yes. So. I I wrote a blog about that a couple of weeks ago that was like, everything was made up once. Yeah. <laughs> everything. This didn't exist. Like, it, you know, at some point someone said, wouldn't it be cool if. Mm-hmm. And I, I think personal gnosis is great. I'm a big fan of it. Read any of my books. You'll see anything on the gods, because I tend to write about gods that I have experience with, Uh, like really direct. That's really important to me. I think that is informative. And I think that, again, it's a starting point. It is one person's experience. Your mileage may vary. So long as we're not, I think, or I try not to come down on that. Here's what you should be feeling, thinking, experiencing. Yay. Tell me stories. Inspire me. Inspire me to learn more. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I mean, I like learning the histories of things and where ideas about things came from. And, but I also don't like the idea that those things are museum pieces. 
I mean, if, if we are in a living tradition, it has to grow and change and some things will get left by the wayside and some things will mm-hmm. go forward in a different form. So. Yeah. And they should. And yeah. I think that that something should go to the wayside. And, and I do like to see the documentation of movement mm-hmm. and the ways in which, oh, this made sense in this time. It doesn't make sense in this time. Yeah. And I personally think that the gods are on board with this. This is my personal thing. I, 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 think I share that. that you know, the gods, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that I, I mean, I think Aphrodite is really happy about this, this strange way she shows up in songs and like the, like the new ways she's experienced in the world. Mm. Um, I think that we're a part of the conversation. So that means that the conversation is going to change based on who's having the conversation. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I mean, it's kind of what you said to me about, there's no way to tell someone else exactly how to feel about this. And, you know, my take on kind of that, you know, if humans are evolving in their thought and probably some physically too, I mean, we know we are evolving a little bit physically too, but we're evolving in our thought. Why would, gods not also evolve and why would they not our understanding of them not change as we changed so Agreed. i mean that just mm-hmm. makes basic sense to me but also like i can i can also see like people who hold on to tradition for safety like i i don't want to dismiss that because i also understand that too no. but um mm-hmm. yeah i mean i just feel like they would have to evolve i mean i love the idea that aphrodite laughs at memes of botticelli paintings of her you know i mean i that that makes me happy to think about so yeah like the the one meme where miss piggy is you know in the uh oyster shell. I bet she loves that. I yeah. think that's great. I think this is how they live on because I think that, like I said, I, I feel like I'm being repetitive, but it's so true. Like the more stories we have, the more things mm-hmm. continue on. If they sort of stop being, you know, this things stop evolving. Where's the excitement? Where's the, where's the excitement for the next generation that wasn't in the world where that started? Mm-hmm. I mean, the gods like attention this is attention i think yeah. <laughs> but that's a good way to put I it mean, yeah I, I just you know i i'm not a person that separates or sort of puts gods necessarily on pedestals like i believe i'm divine i believe mm-hmm. you know all of that so i don't have that putting behind museum glass sort of yeah. approach and it works for some people and it doesn't work for everybody but that's okay we don't all have to do the same thing it's fine exactly i mean i think one of the i do think one of the beautiful things about being in this like era of the embarrassment of riches of information is that you can take what works for you but you can also like appreciate you have the mm-hmm. opportunity i'm not going to tell anybody they have to do this either you have the opportunity to appreciate what other people do outside of your context and I think that, you know, especially when we talk about um, closed traditions and things like that, and people are like, well, I'm not going to buy this book. This is person published on voodoo practice because, I, you know, it's a closed tradition and I'm not a voodoo practitioner, but they published that book because that's what they wanted to share with the public about mm-hmm. 
what their tradition looks like. And it's an opportunity to learn Mm -hmm. about it without having to practice it, without even really having to fully experience or understanding Mm -hmm. it, but you can still appreciate that this other thing is out in the world that is meaningful to people. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that, and I think a lot of my thinking, and it sounds like you might echo this too, comes from something that we talk about reclaiming. Like it's one of the first things we talk about and the, the first elements of magic class, you do all these agreements uh, across the class to make sure the container is safe. And one of the things that is in reclaiming culture is this idea that you're your own spiritual authority rooted in community. Mm-hmm. And that is the idea that um, I might experience things differently than you do. And that's okay. In fact, it's celebrated. And the rooted in community is that I can have these separate things and they might have an impact on other folks. So I also need to hold that awareness, which is a great way to, I think, navigate things and influences me on the regular. So I think that speaks to all of these things. Yes, you can have your thing and people might have feedback. Um, And you're your own spiritual authority, I think. I'm not going to remember it in this moment, but part of the principles of unity and reclaiming is we need no one to interpret the divine for us. Something to that effect, probably look it up, but it's part of that. And I think it's part of this whole conversation. Like, can you be empowered to be like, this is what works for me and Mm -hmm. that works for you. Great. And if it has an impact on me, we'll have a conversation. Um, And Mm -hmm. we all get to impact actually on groups that are marginalized and you know, the bigger impact too, not just, yeah. I don't like yeah. what you did. Yeah. No, I think in community is doing a lot of work there because you're talking about, you know, like obviously the, the people that you are in that class, but the people that are in the group that you practice with your family, your friend group, you know, that, that le- idea of community goes a long way to all of us eventually, you know? So I think, yeah. I, I don't know. I really do like that. And it was, Though I have read some on it, um, reclaiming, I hadn't seen it put together quite exactly like that. Like I hadn't seen the principles of unity until I read the book. And, and I was like, oh, that totally makes sense to me. It's like you are your own authority on your experience, but so is everyone else. And you all have to be together. <laughs> you know, we have to do this together. Oh, so, good luck. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, you know, humans are humans, right? And it's challenging and tricky, but that is community. Mm-hmm. That is having these hard conversations. It is, um, I don't do the same things that you do. Yeah. So. Well, and I just, I, you know, if everything is easy, do we grow? Like the hard conversations are hard, yeah. but they're so important and so impactful mm-hmm. and so much comes out of them that, um, I don't know. I just, mm-hmm. I, I, I can't say I enjoy hard conversations because that just sounds strange to put it in those words, but, mm-hmm. but I'm glad we have them, I guess, is really. I, I think it's foundation. I mean, it's foundational for relationships. Mm-hmm. At some point, something's going to happen and you have to talk about it because this didn't work for me. This was hurtful. This was damaging. I've lost trust in you, things like that there's going to be a point where you need to have a hard Mm -hmm. challenging or maybe we'll say uncomfortable conversation. But I think this is actually one of the things that's like a bigger conversation in the world too, 
is that when we continuously shy away from these tough conversations, we never build the capacity to have them. Right. And when we don't have the capacity, we continue to shy away from them. Then they get more challenging. Mm -hmm. It's sort of, you know, talking about race. Like I, some, it it is uncomfortable. My goodness, it it should be. Um, But as a white person, because y'all can't see me right now, um, my discomfort is nothing compared to like the 24 seven discomfort of marginalized folks. Right. I I can be uncomfortable for a little bit. Yeah. It's going to be okay. Yeah. And I mean, it is that that microcosm and macrocosm thing. Like we have to do this in our interpersonal relationships with people and we have to do it in this big way. And you can build on that. You can build, Mm -hmm. you know, if you get better at having these kind of conversations in the microcosm of your life, we can get all get better at having them in the macrocosm of our existence. So, I mean, we build trust, we build trust by getting through these things. Mm-hmm. And cause you, then, you know, the next time you could get through the next one, whenever the yeah. that is. And mm-hmm. I don't know, I talk about relationship building with gods a lot in my book. So it's a thing. And also like mm-hmm. what to do when things aren't going well, because that is also a relationship. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. We try to keep these under an hour. I'm not always great at keeping the recording under an hour, but I do also want to be respectful of your time. I'm good. Um, good. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about like what's coming up on the horizon for you and this will air. Let me double check my handy sheet here. Um, so you can tell people like when... This will air in May, the beginning of May. It's like, what's coming, what's coming up for you? What are you working on? You know, what do you want to book? And then we'll go to our little last question, our little game of chance. Surprise. Love it. Okay. Well, so what's coming up? So I am perpetually writing things. So I do have a couple more books coming out this year. In July-ish, I wrote another Pagan Portals book on the Norns, and it's called The Norns, Weavers of Fate and Magic, and it is on the Weird Sisters. It is, you know, the Norse mythology. I bring in a little context for it, but for me, it's more about this conversation of how we navigate time, mm-hmm. the weird W-Y-R-D and has a ton of practices in it. Um, got some really great endorsements on it. So I'm really excited about that book. I've worked with the Norns for a while. Um, so that's coming out. Uh, and in November, December, sometimes it's a surprise to me when they come out ish. <laughs> um, there's another earth spirit book. And so this is on Gaia. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is more, and it's called Gaia Saving Her, Saving Ourselves. And it is my attempt at encouraging a reader to build a connection with Gaia in order to foster more support of Earth and Earth healing and whatever is going to happen as climate change continues. Um, It also talks a lot about navigating ecological grief and um how to build communities to do this work together yeah oh, i'm looking forward to both of those that's supposed to sound great that's yeah 
those are great. And so those are the two for this year. And um, <clears throat> I just finished edits on Artemis. So Artemis is not for a while, no mm -hmm. idea. Um, and in terms of finding me and things like that, the best place is my website. So my website is www.irisanyamoon.com. Lots of classes and other shenanigans on there. I'm doing, these aren't all, of, these will be on my website by the time you hear this. <laughs> uh, there are, I'm probably... I don't have the dates yet. I'm going to be doing some classes uh, with Aphrodite, um, probably something with the Norns, and probably a, uh, something on Iris uh, mm -hmm. because I she's my namesake, and so I would like to do that. Other things that are coming up that I can I want to share with folks. I a lot of people ask me about writing. A lot of people ask me about like, how do you do this? How do you, how are you so productive? Uh, part of it is just a brain that focuses uh, really well um, in certain increments of words. I do have like other practices and things like that. And, and folks reached, started to reach out to me. So I've started actually like kind of mentoring folks in writing and coaching them through things. Sort of a lot of folks have come to me and said, I have this book in me. Can you help me like figure out how to do this. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm, it's set up uh, this, it's like a, just a, like a one page site that's called wholehearted writing. And so if folks wanted to work with me on that, that's also a thing. I don't, it's, it's also magic. It's, I was going to say, it's not just magic that I do. No, that's magic too. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's definitely magic. So my books, classes, things like that. I also have a newsletter that um, you can sign up for on my website. And that is where I'm going to be putting more and more things because social media is mm -hmm. challenging. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll still be there. I'm still on a, all the social medias. Kind, and I make a fool kind of myself. Way to put it. Kind way to put it. I also make a fool out of myself on TikTok. So that's fun too. Um, I'm just, you can find me in a lot of places. My name's pretty original. And I'd love to meet folks in various spaces. I do a lot of online stuff too, because of, um, I want to expand access as mm -hmm. much as possible. So I'm, I'm sure there's other things I'm not thinking of. I am perpetually planning about 10 things at a time. So it sounds like website is the best place to start. Website is the place to really, that's usually where yeah. I get organized. <laughs> I also just put out my own self-published poetry book because I wanted to. So that's oh, fun. there too. Mm-hmm. It's on grief, you know, all the happy stuff. Yeah, I, yeah, I, um, I don't know. I joke about my Scorpio moon nature, but um, it's true. And oh. I, I don't tend to turn away from those kind of things. I, I find its own beauty there. So I'm a big fan. I'm trained as a death care worker. So a mm -hmm. little bit of everything. I'm a big fan of looking at the uncomfortable stuff. Yep. Yep. As I have joked many times, it's why I started the podcast. <laughs> I, I think that's actually a great place to do it. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. There's or, just, I mean, write, I love, write books and shove it in there. That's yeah. I, I mean, I love writing and, you know, I do a lot of my work there and <laughs> a lot of my magic in my writing, but there is something about having conversations about it. That's just different. It's just a different experience. So it ignites stuff. 
I think. Mm-hmm. Um, stories and bringing stuff alive. I think there's there's never enough of that. Yeah. Oh, awesome. All right. So our last question, I will roll a die. And depending on right. what I roll, you will get a question about all those lovely things that we kind of just touched on. Uh, it'll be about death, sex, religion, politics, or money. Um, those things we aren't supposed to talk about in polite company in my Southern upbringing um, <laughs> are my favorite things to talk Love about. It. So, absolutely. Great. So let's, and if I roll a six, uh, you get to pick which one you want. So, Oh, Hey, neat. Three religion. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So I, I think this is an ongoing topic in witchcraft and hang in spaces about what is a religion and what is a practice. So for you, do you consider reclaiming a religion and why or why not? No, no to everybody who hears this, who's in reclaiming. No, (laughs) I, here's what I can, I consider. So here's the thing. I work in several traditions. Reclaiming is one of them. And reclaiming has an offshoot, it depends who you ask, an offshoot, a thread, a branch with fairy. So I practice in a few traditions and I do my own stuff. Here's what I would call reclaiming though. I would say that it is a practice. It is also, so that those principles of unity that we've talked about and referenced a couple of times, you can find them online. There's a website for that. The only thing you need to be a reclaiming witch is to agree to the principles of unity. That's it. You don't have to take any classes. You don't have to. um, There's no need to be initiated. There's no need to do any of this stuff. It is a promise to uphold those things that most of us have agreed to wholeheartedly. Within that is a lot of space. It's a lot of space to practice with deities or not, to practice with certain ritual structures or not, to work with yourself or in a group or sometimes both. So for me, it is a collection of possibility holding that there are diverse beings who express their magic and express their power in different ways and access the divine in different ways. Like in my bio, like the divine, whatever that means to you. Is it a tree? Is it the ocean? Is it Aphrodite? It could be all those. One of the reasons why I call reclaiming home is because there is space to be curious Mm -hmm. and what i think of religion i don't think of that i think of like a smaller room to explore and reclaiming is a whole set of rooms and possibly the backyard do you think that i mean you kind of touched on my follow-up question is, do you think like culturally 
especially now kind of in the spaces that we're in and, and conversations going on in sometimes legal spaces about is there an advantage or disadvantage to claiming witchcraft or paganism as a religion? Hmm. I think of the system that we're in, I think that there. I think you can probably answer in both directions, honestly. I don't think that there's a clear answer, but I think in some ways I, I want it to be, I want to claim witchcraft as just as much of a faith as another religion. That's sort of skirting that question, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> I Because I think that is true. I, I, I would like to have the same sort of legal protections and things like that. I think that that, I would want that ideally. And I don't know if I trust the people who are holding those laws up. So I can say things in both directions. Yeah. Do I tell people that I'm a witch? Uh, Depends. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, I mean, it's not really a trick question, but I I don't know that there's really an, an answer yeah. That even encapsulates what I think about it either. <laughs> like, I don't know that there's no. a clear answer to it. Because I agree with you. I mean, I I, it would be nice to feel like, mm-hmm. you know, I wasn't going to be legally discriminated against because of something I believe. But yeah. that already happens to people who are in established religions. <laughs> so that's the thing, in, you know, that's are codified as a religion in our legal code. So, yeah, I don't, yeah, I, I don't know that there's a good answer to it. And, like I went, I mean, especially when I still lived in the South, like I never really considered myself to be in the closet, but I didn't advertise either. And mm-hmm. I, I kind of am the same way here. Although now that, you know, I have published fiction that's very witchcraft oriented and I have a podcast about witchcraft and I have a last name and a name that's easy, like you said, you know, it's pretty easy to find. Like I'm really not in the closet at all, but it's also not. The first thing I tell people about myself. No, I, what do you write books on? Uh, spirituality. <laughs> That's usually what I stay with. I think the other thing too, with that question is that how on earth can we agree to a definition of witchcraft? Yeah. I, I yeah. I mean, someone asked me recently in, in a writing group, because I, one of the projects I'm working, I'm working with a critique group on and they're like, well, you don't really define witchcraft. And I'm like, well, because you can't, <laughs> So I can define it for me. I can maybe define it for what it means to me today. Like right now, yes. when you ask me the question, but if you ask me tomorrow, I may have a different definition. So I, you know, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know that it's something that I can put a pin in and that's going to stay there forever. No, I mean, if I wanted that, I would have stayed in Christianity. And I mean, even that's a wide span of stuff too. Yeah, I was going to say, even, in, even, you know, in Christianity, I don't know that that's true for a lot of people. No, so. it's, yeah, I think that that's, I, I would, there's a part of me that's just really nervous about where these kinds of conversations are going. Mm-hmm. I, I There is a part of me that is sometimes nervous about being out as a witch because I'm watching evangelicalism uh, just be all up in everybody's stuff. Mm -hmm. And it feels unsettling. 
and it can be worrisome sometimes. So as a, it's a strange, um, I, it's an interesting very time. recently resident of Tennessee. I can tell you, yeah, it makes me pretty nervous. So. Yep. So <laughs> part of me is trying to be more protective. And part of me is like, I am also in a position where I, I work for myself. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I could also be somebody that is, you know, out there putting out information that I'm, I'm not, I don't, I'm not the myth that you think I am. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just a person. Yeah. Well, and I do think, funnily enough, I think that goes back to our, our conversation about hard conversations. Like, you know, if, if you meet me and you have a preconceived idea of what you think a witch is or someone who practices witchcraft or paganism and you meet me and I'm, I don't suit your ideal of this, whatever, bog swamp witch not that i think those are bad things you have about (laughs) sign me sign me up i know sign sign me up up. to be the bog witch um yeah but if if i don't meet those ideas you kind of have to reevaluate what you think about witches and witchcraft (laughs) you would you would think yes you would think that that Or, or maybe you There's don't, and then me. you just decide that maybe I am don't. whatever you thought I was. But, yeah. Well, I don't you should know. be scared then if, if, uh, if I am. I, you know, can, can we go that route too? Maybe I, yeah. I am just that scary. <laughs> then maybe you just need to be afraid of me. Yeah. Um, exactly. I feel like I am so not a scary person, but I <laughs> also know that people build monsters uh, in their own mind. So, yes, they do. I, I can be, but uh, often it's subtle. Yeah, I don't know. I like the. Uh, we'll save uh, that for another time. The the uh, <laughs> shy demure look you gave <laughs> when you mm-hmm. said that. <laughs> the one downside of uh, audio only format is a trick. I'm a bunch of uh, yeah. You should work. You know, take classes or rituals with me because I have a lot of facial expressions. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm terrible. I have the worst poker face in the world. So me too. Oh. Me too. oh. And now that we've been in Zoom land for so long, I've learned now what my face is doing a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was surprising Oops. to me how bad my poker face really was. <laughs> oh my God. I, yeah, it has been, uh, it's been a learning. Yeah. Also, yeah. sometimes I'm always looking at myself to make sure that I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. Making a Which face. Is, it's, it's its own kind of exhausting. Like, yeah, I am. Um, <laughs> I, I appreciate I don't need to see myself that often. Yeah, like I appreciate the technology that we have, like you said, to make things yeah. more accessible and to talk to more people. And like, I mean, you and I live pretty close. I mean, we probably could have gotten together right. and done this in person. We could have done this, yeah. But it's a lot easier to do it from your own house. And you know, mm-hmm. like, there's just a lot of um, a lot of benefit from it. But also, sometimes it's just exhausting. Like, I would like to burn social media to the ground most days and just like walk away with the flames behind me. And, and yet I still kind of have to do it because it's part of how I put my name out there and put my books out there and you still got to do it, you know? So, yeah, I'm trying to, I'm working on building a better relationship with it. I sort of wrote what is just was an inspired sort of not manifesto. That's a hard, that's not the word it's like this inspired sort of, this is what I'm going to do from this moment forward. So I don't mm-hmm. know what that looks like yet, but something got channeled through me and I was like, mm-hmm. I guess we're going to, slowly step away from social media. I don't know how yet, but yeah, 
I do feel like people are building different networks. I mean, I don't know that they're not social media and, but the way they function is different. Like, you know, having newsletters and things like Substack Mm -hmm. and medium, and they, they are social media in that they are produced by the people reading them, I guess, in some way, but the relationship is different. It is. I think that you can't, well, I don't think, I don't think it's easy to build a community on social media when algorithms are saying who you can and can't see Mm -hmm. and who can and can't see you. That's not a natural uh, environment for that to happen. Which is why people should subscribe to your newsletter. And that's why yeah, mine, if they can find it <laughs> uh, if I put one out anytime soon um so, yeah it's um yeah yeah I mean because you, you're having a direct relationship with somebody you've said you want to have a relationship with you want to hear what they have to say yes. and one thing I do like mm-hmm. about Substack which I think has its probably has its own issues is that now you yeah. can also have conversations on Substack in addition to reading the newsletter you can also have conversations with people which is one of the things I'm that I'm slowly switching to that. So thank you. Yeah. Um, I'm still figuring out and there's still a lot of integration issues with it, but um, sure. yeah, I just, mm-hmm. I like it as a, as an opportunity a little more. So, so yeah. I, well, cool. It's good. It's good to hear. I will ask you a five questions. So. Yeah. Um, well, I may tell you where <laughs> I found the it. answers and say, Hey, you may want to go read oh, this. Great. Yourself. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. I'm happy to sleuth on that. That's great. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, I'm excited that you have new stuff coming out this year on two, um, two yes. that sound great. And I'm looking forward to reading and um, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, like our paths will cross in person because we are close on the other side of the bay from each I other. Think I guess. Great. Yeah, that would be great. I mean, there's all these bridges in between. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little obsessed with the Golden Gate Bridge. I have to admit every time we drive up to the city, I have to go to the bridge. Me too. And, Thank and you. honestly, part of why I'm obsessed with it. So I read um, The Fifth Sacred Thing before I'd ever read any of Starhawk's mm-hmm. other books. And that image in the yep. book mm-hmm. where she talks about the main character after they blow up the bridges and how it's like coming to your lover with their arms broken. Like that image has stuck mm-hmm. in my heart and brain. And every time I see that bridge, I think about her, that line in her book. It's really mm-hmm. weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it gave me goosebumps just hearing that. Yep. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. yeah reclaiming, reclaiming was so fascinating. Yeah. You're going to have to go look. I was going to say reclaiming so fascinating because I read all about all these folks in spiral dance. And I was like, oh, these are real people. Yeah. yeah. They're real people. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're real. That is, I bet them. <laughs> yeah. That is pretty awesome. Real, well, real stuff. Well, let's do this again at some point when you got another book coming out. And um, yeah. I would love to chat. That'd and be great. That would be awesome. Well, cool. well, well, I really care. appreciate the the opportunity and time, and it's, yeah, thanks uh, for we giving up part of your Saturday. <laughs> it's all good. I am. My cat is ready for me though to do something else besides sit here. <laughs> so he's staring at me right now. Hi. Yes. Well, go That's give all. your cat some love. I'll have a good rest of your day. Again. You too. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. Witchlit is a production of Thousand Volt Press. Our intro music is Cosmic Glow by Andrew Kay, and our outro music is Voices by Alexander Shinekar. Transcripts and all our previous episodes are available at witchlitpod.com, 
and you can follow us on Instagram at witchlitpod. Thanks for listening and for reading Witchy.